0: Welcome to another episode of 3Wise DMs, the podcast for three Dungeon Masters. We've been doing this for way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne and I'm joined by... Tony?
1: People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly when you're alone. It's got the best to come up with we've got to start time. a
0: vampire campaign now. That is yeah, that man. is straight out of Lost, Lost Boys. Lost
1: Boys, baby. Lost Boys.
0: <laughs> Actually, <laughs> Probably one of the games.
1: best fly-in scenes when that's playing.
0: Oh, absolutely. And it dovetails with tonight's episode really well, because we are talking about how can you bring your NPCs to life? And really, at heart, this is a matter of how can you make a stranger someone who's interesting, someone who the players want to interact with, uh, someone who they trust. And we're going to kick it off today with with an email from a fan we got. As you've probably heard if you're paying attention, we often do get to talk about reader questions on the air. This one comes in from Nick, and Nick, like Tony, is running Storm King's Thunder. And for well, those of you,
1: is he running it like Tony? Does anyone run Storm Kings like Tony though?
0: <laughs> got it. I <laughs> hope not. You mean the veneer of Storm Kings on his expansive homebrew underneath? Yes. That- so Nick writes. I started a game of Storm King's Thunder as a new DM last year, and I've run into an issue regarding the Zhentarim. In the module, the starter quest is at Nightstone, and the Zhentarim show up and cause trouble. One member of the party is a member from the start, and the others aren't and are generally lawful good. The majority of the party have pretty much instantly got a real hate for the Zhentarim and think they're just pure evil, which makes it hard for me to DM since one member of the group is Zhentarim. I only use the faction to build the member story arc, but it's hard when big issues arise when I bring the faction into the game. I introduce them in into Fire fire shear in our last session. I tried to portray them as mercenaries and sellswords swords a bit more as opposed to the nightstone representation of them, which in my opinion is frankly terrible <laughs> since it makes them seem like they're really terrible people in my fire shear. They have been contracted to protect the town from giant attacks, etc. But my party just still hates their guts. And it has caused conflict between the Zontarum player and the lawful good players again. And it's tricky to DM. Any help with this would be amazing as I'm am a newbie DM and this is a conflict issue I was not prepared to deal with at all. So now we're playing through Storm King's Thunder and we did some stuff with the Zontarum. And I think, uh, Tony, you actually already set Nick an answer, right? So what, did, what guidance did you give this this new DM?
2: Well, this is a tough situation because the interim not being typically a great bunch of blokes is pretty common knowledge. I mean, I did a fast Google search when I was replying to Nick, and it basically said, it brought up their motto, and it said, uh, join us and prosper, oppose us and suffer. You know, <laughs> that's not the thing the pout and really is like, yeah, let's embrace that. But that aside, so he wants them to be a viable faction. Uh, that that's tough when you're they're going into uh, that kind of a situation with a little bit of out of game knowledge or perhaps they know some cursory knowledge. The way to handle that, or at least I recommended, was you have to say here in my campaign, this is how I'm operating this in mm-hmm. And in this campaign, they're basically an elite bunch of mercenaries that handle the jobs that really nobody else can, can deal with, like protecting towns from giants, you know, scouting giants, etc. And if they don't take that bait, let it go. And then you can circle back to it later. I hear about this interim, but they're doing good things. Maybe they're not philanthropists, but, you know, they're who they said they were. Um, and let them understand flat out, the you know, and almost breaking the fourth wall moment as the DM. Say, look, you can do work for these guys. I'm not going to hit you with a gotcha moment later. And be like, <laughs> ah! i've been doing the villains bidding the entire time <laughs> I no one wants that. gotcha i you just channeled know, it, skeletor right
0: there it's funny because i'm doing the same sort of thing with strad and it caused a similar kind of issue where the players in one of the groups was like oh this is strad we played with strad a ton we know exactly who he is but my strad we've kind of touched on is a little different and it was hard getting the players to let go of their kind of their metagame knowledge about strad we've got a podcast coming up soon on metagaming too i think it's the next podcast actually but their their knowledge of Strahd really kind of undermined where i wanted to go with him which was a little more of a power player and expansionistic kind of thing uh and dave you did some stuff like
1: this in your slavers bay game too absolutely and tony and you are, are absolutely right because it is with this type of thing if you're running an adventure that's already published uh, especially like the Forgotten Realms or something, there is a level of a meta gaming that's going to happen because people know, oh, the Zenthirum, oh, the the these guys, that guy, this king, um, and that can run you a little afoul. So in Slavers Bay, I was able to completely homebrew whatever I wanted to, and I had brought in my uh, Jolly Punks, who were just a <laughs> band of they were a band of kind of they were ne'er do wells, they were roguish and all of this. But the whole idea was that they were working within this like infernal kingdom. So they would work for kind of the highest bidder, but they were doing work for some of like the resistance factions too. They, kind of, they, they were, like Tony said, like you were saying, they were neutral, they were apolitical. Uh, they didn't really have a side. They were just kind of living life on their terms and making money where they could. And uh, the party right off the bat didn't really want that to happen. So they just, uh, they weren't too keen on that. But what I, what they ended up killing the the, the leader, Captain Mercer, or at least the leader of of that faction. But I did start to work them back in later on. Um, I think when you guys got to Thrace, I think I started to work them back, Tony, like you were just saying, to show, well, no, they're not really about. Evil and and all of this. And you're actually dealing with factions that are much more evil and and injurious to people. And these people might be something that you could possibly utilize or exploit, you know, their abilities.
0: So, you know, this is interesting because here I can provide a uh, counterpoint that has kind of become my game, my my my, uh, my play here, right? Um, when, when Dave says we killed the leader of the Jolly Punks, what he means to say is that my character, Hannibal, the Cannibal druid uh, or uh, Moon Droid, uh, ate their faction leader with relish. Because, well, because this was the last time I split the party. Well, not the last time. It was one of the last times I split the party. Because I went running around, just kind of being like, all right, all well, my characters does not want to hang out. He's going he's gonna to go run around at night as a wolf. And Dave had the Jolly Punks attack my party. And I think someone had actually been dropped. So from the character point of view, like, okay, they, they robbed the party. They went off, and they got, like, kinda, they got away with some goods. And I, in like, the distance I'd heard this going on. I rush back. I come back. We get together. We heal. We regroup. And immediately, uh, the way this character thinks, this character is a very kind of, you know, angry, black and white, you know, you're a part of my pack or your food kind of character. Immediately tracks this guy down with the party. I mean, not, not alone. Some of us went and we corner him and uh, killed him. And he wasn't attacking us. Or he might have attacked us a little bit, but we we absolutely had the chance to take his surrender. He wanted to talk. And in character, I felt like my character was angry. He had attacked his friends, his pack, and he had to kill him.
1: And absolutely. I was not feel bad about this. And that's what, that is, that is mm. what happened. That is what happened, yeah. But yeah, they, they had not really caused any injuries to the party, but they had robbed them. They had, or at least attempted to rob them, I think. No,
0: they definitely, they had won that encounter against the party, I'm pretty sure. I know that the party had been roughed up during that ambush.
1: I'd have to go back. I can't quite remember. Uh. Regardless, but yeah, it was very much this, okay, there's this other faction here, and, you know, uh, good, evil, black, white. But then, depending on your campaign, that might change. You know, you might be playing a very epic, high fantasy, good and evil, battling it out kind of thing. Uh, Or you might be playing this very gray area, like Tony, I think that you do a lot, uh, Mm. especially with Storm Kings, where you open the door for us to talk with these people, if we so desire. Like, I... I decided to make it, in essence, a deal with the Zentaro, you know. Now, that's very in character for for my character. But, yeah, we didn't necessarily know what that was going to look like, but we are looking at a a town that's destroyed by giants, and now the mobs are kind of rolling in, so we're trying to just take care of one thing at a time, I think. It's like New Jersey after a hurricane. (laughs) Thor's there reminds
2: me of uh, one of the earlier versions, I want to say it was Morrowind, when you're playing the game and you do something or like you kill an NPC and the message pops up on the screen up, though all those quest lines are closed, (laughs) Thorne showed he was the bigger man by eating this NPC and no Jolly Punk's quests are now available.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and we found out later that like they had actually been doing errands for the resistance they, they, they what we took from him was like a set of like holy items for the banned religion yeah and we're like crap dude. yeah and it's like literally like that it's like that scene from uh from black Adder. Or, or maybe it's from fine lori <laughs> when the nazis looking at each other going are we the baddies <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was ex- and, and that paid off later in that but yeah all those side quests closed. And what's funny, now this happened in everyone's campaign. It happened in Storm King Thunder with us, too, with the Troll King. That didn't come to blows. But, Tony, you had that Troll King NPC who you, would have presented, you wanted to present as someone we wanted to talk to and had information which we should want to get information from. And we took one look at him and said, uh-uh. <laughs> the, 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 this dude doesn't want We're not talking to this guy. He, he's evil. Look at him. Look at that picture. He, he, just, wants to, he just wants to con us and eat us. Be careful that's about so magic artwork of the artwork to use,
1: guys. Be careful about the artwork to use. That's all. It's live rounds. They're live rounds. Yeah,
2: but I don't know how this is going to play out, and that's what makes it interesting. Yeah, I mean, so it happened to all of us. And I
0: guess, you know, there's two sides to this, right? On the one hand, you're just, and Dave, you say this all the time. You're throwing out plot threads. to take what they take. They don't what they don't. It's not a big deal. Yeah. On the other hand, sometimes you're like, no, I really want you to engage with this. Like, no, no, no. I've actually had times at the table where the players tell me, they read, they read back to me what they think that NPC was all about. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You didn't get that impression at all. That wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't trying to con you. He wasn't evil. He's not trying to rob you. The, the you know, Tony's boss in the, uh, in, in the, um, in the game he was in with Erasmus, like, some of the npcs are, or some of the pcs are like are reacting to the basically the grand mage as yeah he seems shifty he's trying to take over the kingdom no he's not he didn't seem shifty to you at all that wasn't the
2: well, like you're reading that uh, in <laughs> okay. ironically she, she, she after, later yeah that one player drew that one card that made an enemy out of someone and it happened to be him that, that all turned full circle We never got to play that out, but yes,
0: yes. When we got the deck of many things, that card did turn him against you. But like, there was a point in that game where I'm like, what? No, no, you didn't get that impression that he was like lying to you. You didn't get the impression he was hiding anything. He seemed to make me an insight check. No, he seemed trustworthy. You know, sometimes the way you're trying to portray the NPCs is the opposite of how the players read them. And the trust you're trying to, when you're trying to signal... You can trust this person at least enough to talk to them. The PCs are aren't seeing it that way. They're seeing it as no, no, no. This person's an enemy. We got to kill this person. I I recognize a heel turn when
2: I see one. That's that play. That that NPC is dirty. <laughs> yeah, that that NPC was basically like the police commissioner pulling the two eight, the bunch of eighties cops in the room and chewing them out after they pulled some huge fiasco where the <laughs> bust went bad. The, co- the bad guys got away. All this, these cars uh, got wrecked. The mayor's uh, pissed off. <laughs> and they're like, this weapon. guy's really a jerk.
1: Briggs, <laughs> Merton, get in here.
2: Basically. Yeah. That was
0: how he was the grand. He was like the, the archmage of the kingdom. He was Tony's character works for him. And it was a little bit of, yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess it's not cop-like because it was a wizard, but it sort of was. Like, the wizards were kind of the agents of the kingdom, and Tony had hired the party to work for them. So it was. It was sort of like, you know, Riggs, Martog, get in here. <laughs> you did what? There was a lot of conversation. We did You did what? And then you did what? Like, that was the character he
2: was. <laughs> That's fair. So let me ask on the subject, what makes an NPC then memorable?
0: Well, I think we remember the NPCs we ate, you know, if they're edible, that's, that makes them memorable. We're talking Interesting. About the of, my, of my cannibal character. Now, um, what makes, you know, there's different kinds of NPCs. And I, I was thinking about this before, like this conversation we're having, I think really applies to factional NPCs, you know, NPCs that are tied to, like you said, kind of side questy kind of situations, or they can unlock access to a faction or information from a direction it doesn't really apply to like party pet npcs right like tony like the apocalypse dragon that's like a different category so we're really
2: talking about how do you get the players to trust your factions yeah well let me quantify that yes no npc who is in the party it has to be an npc that is controlled by the dm and i feel like i'm contractually obligated to talk here a little bit about villains as well and make sure that they're Mm -hmm. in the mix
0: well, I mean, yeah, because your best villains aren't necessarily villains the party wants to kill from day one. Yeah, yeah, you want to, you want a little Emperor Palpatine in some of these things.
1: The, uh, I think a lot of people, because I see this a lot, people posting about this type of thing. They want to make these very memorable uh, NPCs, these very memorable allies, these memorable villains, uh, and I get it. You know, um, but I really think that the the memorableness is not something that's written into the character. I think it's something that happens from the party, the players at the table and their interaction with you as you guys are are, are improv uh, any interaction is what creates these memorable characters and not the other way around. Because how many times do you have, you know uh the character the, the NPC that you put all of this this effort into and then meanwhile they want to go talk to Sam Smeagle, the janitor at the fucking bar, right? <laughs> they want to talk to that guy, not the, you know, the wizard with the orb and the crown of fire above his head. Like, fuck that guy. I, what's up with Sam? You know? Sam's <laughs> so so just every them I think the memorableness comes because that's just what's happening at the table, you know, the, the either the inside jokes or the, the memorable encounters that just occurred. But I don't know how much is preplanned with it, you know. I was going to say, I think that's depending
2: if the one of the aspects of this is if the NPC is either helping drive the plot in some way and or they're providing opposition to the players that provides the framework. They need scream time and they need to be involved in something that the players have Mm, mm. buy-in.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, that kind of dovetails with what Dave was saying. And, you know, I think that getting back to like why I'd mentioned, like the party pet is different in this case than like this factional NPC, because it is kind of easy to have a one shot or a quirk NPC show up. Just someone who shows up out of nowhere and make them memorable. Right. If you have death show up every now and then and do the party a favor, they're going to remember death, but that is more like a trick. Yeah. You know, that's kind of a party trick NPC. And I don't think of that the same way as having an NPC who is an integrated part of your world. They want to interact with. I feel like to some extent the question is, are they memorable? It starts with, do the players trust this character enough to listen to them and to interact with them? Cause characters, the players don't trust. Characters who the players feel like, this guy is just looking to kill me, just looking to betray me, they just become random enemies. You know, some of them can be hated, some of them can be memorable, but they don't have that player interaction and buy-in, like someone who the player trusts and talks to and is interacting with on a professional or personal level. So it really starts with trust. You have to, and this comes back to Nick's question here, right? You need to figure out... How am I going to set up this NPC introduction or this faction introduction in a way that the players are going to talk to them and work with them or interact with them instead of just running yeah. in to kill them? Because if they're running to kill yeah. them, they just become monsters, and monsters in D&D almost by definition aren't memorable. Your big ones are, but you don't remember the goblins who it along the way. And an NPC that the players never trust becomes just another goblin they slayed along the way. I see every goblin I've ever killed when I close
2: my eyes and go to sleep. <laughs>
0: That's a lot of goblins. That's just like a sea of faceless heads bobbing up and down.
1: Well, I think, I think so. a couple points here. One is uh, some of the things that I think will that can create uh, memorableness for the NPC is one. What are they doing for the party? Are they someone who is? Pro- what are they providing? Because it's always something that people—it's memorable because you're getting something from the relationship in a way, right? Whether it's a shopkeeper, whether it's information, whether it's allies, whatever it might be, right? Um, I—I want to think of the the um, the Cardassian Taylor on uh, Deep, Space Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine. I can't remember his name right now, and I—it kills me. Um, but he was perfect, right? Because you know, I can't remember his name, but he's super memorable still, like though. <laughs> Just take my yes, yes. Um, But very memorable because one, Elon Garrick, Elon Garrick. You watching. don't know what he's up to, but he comes through at the times that you need him and he has depth, you know. So I think something right. like the interim is very much like that because it creates depth. The second part of this, though, I think is partly the party and i think the party is creating the memorableness of these encounters or not because of how they want to interact with the world so roderick right the bard who talks his way out of most things uh especially at that level because he was not powerful enough that's exactly that's exactly what he's gonna do he knows money he knows how to smooth talk people and he doesn't mind being in the gray areas of life, so he has no problem talking to the Zentarium. What if you had a party of paladins, though? They're literally not going to talk to the Zenterum. Doesn't mean that that can't come back later, Jelly Punk style, right? And all of a sudden the Zenterum, well, maybe they're not as evil as I thought at first. But I think some of that might be how the—it's the players interacting with the world and kind of creating how these things play out.
0: You know, it's funny, because as you're talking about Garrick, I'm remembering another character that was similar, Sabretooth, from the old, you know, 90s Chris Claremont X-Men days. Yeah, yeah. He had a similar kind of thing going on. And I think there's some other characters who were good examples of that, and they had some things in common. So part of the reason Garrick was interesting was he was just this Cardassian tailor on Beach 9, who you came to realize, who 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 some of the in-the-know characters knew was not just a Cardassian tailor. He had been some kind of Cardassian intelligence official officer. Yeah. Yeah. He had been some kind of special ops, some kind of spy. Yeah. Yeah. In addition, he knew more about Odo than Odo knew about himself because Odo, uh, for those who haven't watched deep space nine was a mysterious shape shifting character. They had never seen his race before. As far as anyone knew in the beginning of the series, at least he was the only one of his kind. He had a hard time learning to transform well enough to look like a human. So he looked funny he became the security officer. But you had the character who didn't know his background, and Garrick was the key to some of it because he had been experimented on by the Cardassians, and Garrick knew some of that stuff. So the character who you know you don't want to like, but is charismatic, and Garrick was charismatic, enigmatic, he kind of always has a smile. He always knows a little more than you do. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And this played out exactly the same way in Wolverine with Sabretooth. Because, in, again, in Wolverine, at that point in time, I mean, comic characters change over years. But at that point in time, Wolverine's one of his big things was he, we knew, he had, no one knew where he came from in the beginning. He was yeah. just this healing factor, clawed badass, and no one knew anything about him. And then you find out he had some kind of military history, but he didn't remember it. So they start trying, he starts trying to find out where he came from and who he was. And Sabretooth, who was a similar kind of like, you know, kind of wild, clawed, savage beast man character on the other side, knew something about Wolverine's past and wouldn't tell him. And that was the same Odo-Garrick relationship of you don't like this guy. This guy's actively fighting you, You're enemies. You have tried to kill each other multiple times with maybe not entire sincerity, but you would take it pretty close. But that guy who you hate know something about you you don't know and that became super memorable in both of those storylines. I and mean, with Absolutely. Wolverine it turned out he was part of the Weapon X project. Sabretooth had been part of the Weapon X project. Sabretooth had his memories when Wolverine didn't. So the whole time, so every time they fought, Sabretooth would be teasing him about, "Haha, I know you better than you know you." While they were actively fighting and kicking each other's ass. And that's a great dynamic. So that player-to-NPC dynamic can be really powerful if you have a player who's willing to play with their kind of past and backstory that way.
2: I think the the player gets something, or the players get something from the interaction with the NPC. They don't necessarily have to be objects or even information, but they can be, bring a degree of comedy to the game. And through that, they can support the flavor of the environment.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
2: So, like, you do a lot of NPCs, like, they're all Barovian. So, how do I know I'm Barovia? Well, Dave has a whole arsenal of Barovian NPCs.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, it's. Uh, they okay. set a lot of scene. So, yeah, well, exactly. It's, here's like, the one helped. problem with being in Barovia, though, okay? Is that. You can only shift the accent so much before it starts. Wait, why are you talking? You're literally just like two hours walk from this other town. Why do you talk completely <laughs> differently? You can't. It doesn't make any sense. You know. Well, that <laughs>
2: helps. I mean, even when you're interacting with throwaway NPCs, though, that helps set the stage and set the mood for the game.
1: Right, I got you. I got what you're saying, though. You know what? I will say though, unfortunately, they kind of go with a very Transylvanian Romani type of accent, but with that turns very quickly into Father Guido Sarducci. And I don't know why. I need to talk to (laughs) a voice coach. I I might have to start taking some lessons. I'm not sure. I know I'm getting you for your birthday.
0: You know what? I mean, I, I like the way Dave. You do a good job playing those NPCs. One of the things, though, that kind of keeps those NPCs at a distance is not many of them can actually do much to help the party.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: And that's a little bit uh, – because honestly, I'm not as connected into the Barovian NPCs as I wish I was. Like, there's a lot we've talked to, a lot we've tried to do stuff with, and you kind of – when you start – because my character in that game came in. it's a charisma, He's a charisma character. Um, he was my, I had a little bit of a thought of, okay, I'm going to like start seducing people and making friends and try to get in good with the, with, with the Vistani and start kind of like, kind of kind of like doing back dealing and kind of getting building power base against Strahd. And you start pushing on the walls a little bit and you realize that there's nowhere to go, you know? Okay. You can't really do this. You can't really do that. It's all kind of fixed within the game. So if you know, while I like the way you've played the NPCs, I have found the setting in general, doesn't make for very memorable NPCs because they all kind of don't do very much. It's really about you and
1: stride I get what you're I get what you're saying with that, absolutely. Yeah, because of be, partly I think because of that too. What I was saying is that there's always something that you get from the relationship, you know, and there's not a lot. There is, and I think you guys are starting to work into that now because you've been in Barovia for a time and you've actually started to create serious waves um so now factions are starting to there's some rumblings you know like we talked about the whole pamphlet thing and all of that you know and this idea of these because there have been these resistances throughout time there that have been you know failed so everyone there is a very kept person but now this like hope is seems to be being rekindled almost you know but yeah in the beginning yeah there's not much you can do so there can be a flatness i think so
2: how do we then bring these NPCs to life? Or how would our the audience who want to take an NPC and, you know, breathe some life into them? How, how do they do this? You know, I feel like getting, getting back to what Dave just said.
0: They have something to offer, but then the trick is how do you communicate that they have something interesting to offer and get the party to trust them in a way that makes the party want to get to it? You also, I think, need to be careful because you if you have, you know, when I think of Garrick and I think of Sabretooth, they both teased the party for a long time. They teased the, the, the characters for a long time before they really gave up any of their goods. And neither one gave up all their goods in the end. They always knew more than they were telling you. You were always playing catch-up. And I think there's that aspect, if you really want that kind of character, that kind of you know, the, the players interact with for a long time and it's memorable and they're, and they're kind of someone the characters go to to learn more. Having them know something that the party trusts enough to interact with them on, but doesn't trust them enough to fully trust them and that the NPC never really gives it all away creates that kind of hook that makes for these memorable characters in many situations.
2: I don't know. I would definitely trust Garrick over Sabretooth 10 out of 10 times. That's me. (laughs) You know what, though? Uh, Well, you know, I'm not sure
0: that'd be the wise decision. Because Sabretooth might just flat out kill you, but Garrick might wind up having you turn yourself into the Cardassian thought police. Like, Garrick could definitely get you in more trouble if you wanted to, whereas Sabretooth, he's got to take an ass kick. Uh, Sabretooth was probably, I'm
2: going to go with Chaotic Evil,
1: so I don't know. I would <laughs> easily, say... <laughs> easily, yeah. He was just a wild child. There was no... Yeah, there was no uh, thought behind that. It was, there, <laughs> was was no <laughs> there was no creativity.
0: There was there, no... There there, was no cleverness to his evil. Garrick, you know, Garrick's yeah. someone who could torture you for information.
1: Well, Tony, yeah, I've said to... um, before with... Uh, to, to kind of breathe life into it and to kind of create this organic feel, I think part of that is... Having them feel a little more real through such a simple thing as not a funny voice necessarily, but at your
2: own risk, use them at your own risk.
1: But it's not that as much as they have, there is a compass within them that they are going to interact with you, which and you could possibly alter that certain ways, the way you could with a normal person. But Mm -hmm. you know, I know already as we kind of have these conversations how Thorne is probably going to respond. To certain questions. I know some of his compass. I know some of your compass. You know, people will know how Dave's going to respond, and it creates that more authenticity. So, having you know your NPC have a a general goal, just in life maybe, and then maybe also some sort of either secret or flaw that can maybe be worked into the plot possibly, or even just that's just who they are, and it makes them more uh, you know more believable. It also allows you to play them more accurately, the way you would play a PC.
2: Yeah, I think a uh, the character, of course, needs a decent description, and to add to what you're saying, they need a backstory that will allow you to, like what Thor was talking about, perhaps tease some knowledge or have something to offer the party. But it's a thin line there because you don't want to bury a player with an information drop. It's kind of like if you 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 you're you're working with somebody and you're like, hey. Good morning. How you doing? <sighs> I'm horrible. You wouldn't believe what happened last night. And then launched launched into this eight minute monologue, and you're like, "Why did I bother asking? Why Ugh. did I
1: talk to this guy I'm and why? tell me. it all this information?" <laughs> Keep well,
2: it
0: to you know, you know what a sign is that the players do want to interact with this character more when they're in when they're in missions that have nothing to do with that character, where they're like, "Hey, maybe that guy would know something." Yeah, that kind of thing. When they start going out of the way to go see that NPC because they think he's going to be or he or she's going to be interesting and useful. That's when I think, you know, you're in the right direction. And you're right, Tony. You don't want to bury them with information drops. In fact, if anything, one of the things I learned looking at these other characters is you don't bury them with information drops. You dole out those secrets one at a time slowly. So the party kind of gets the sense that there's always more to come to cut to find later.
1: Yes. Yes, yes, absolutely.
2: These NPCs also need a distinct personality. Um, mm-hmm. I think that certainly, like you're talking about having an appearance that sets it apart from another character, uh, their personality, and like they was talking about their you know, how to uh, navigate that character um, – Will make the players want to come back and interact with them later, uh, but you know they also have to have a place in your story too. I mean, it's not like they're like, you know, what we should talk to Nick the Hot Dog Man. I think he's got something.
1: <laughs> and that's he's what I was the- gonna. That's what I was gonna kick back to you too, Tony. Is that that's where it can start to become? It's like when you talk about you're never gonna create another town if as long as you live, you know, because Absolutely. you just fall down this rabbit hole. And NPCs can be the same way, um, yeah. because That's the thing. You don't know who's going to be the memorable one. So you put all of this this work into the the cryptic wizard who has the orb and he has all the secrets of the land. And they want to know about Sam Smingle, the janitor. And you don't have anything for him, but you have to create it on the spot. And then all of a sudden, Sam is their go to guy. That's who they got. What's. Sam probably knows. I mean, janitors—they're talking to people all the time. They hear gossip. We got to talk to Sam, you know. <laughs> so well, I like to wish today that never happened to me, but uh, yeah, exactly
0: right. Exactly. But you, you know, I think Dave, I think you—you you mentioned something there that also can help work that out, so it doesn't kind of pull your campaign off the rails. Yeah. Which is figure out a personality for that character, but that doesn't mean you now need to make Sam the janitor, the hero or villain of the story. Maybe Sam just hears some things. Maybe Sam just, you know, does some gambling down on the waterfront, and he hears some things. Yeah. He can maybe just become your kind of underworld, kind of plugged-in kind of character who always sends the party off to meet someone else. He can kind of... He's like
1: for Daredevil.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah he, he's he's like, okay, maybe the party always goes to him, but maybe he just always sends them to the next guy. He doesn't really become the one who knows everything.
1: Yeah, and now exactly, you yeah. keep
0: them from getting too big, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, Absolutely.
0: You know, actually, Tony, I wanted to come back to, we kind of glanced over the personality question a little bit. And I think that's a really important one because everything we've talked about so far has been about, how you root this character in your story, how you give them a reward for the players that, that the players want to get by interacting with them. Per- character personalities are one of the hardest things for me, especially when I'm ad-libbing, because to some extent I'm thinking, what is his personality? His personality is guy who moves the story forward. I mean, what do you mean? <laughs> his personality is guy who kicks you on to the next guy. You know, I mean, my my personalities, especially on ad lib characters who I haven't played with a lot, definitely get thin. I think that's absolutely kind of... And some of that comes from the style of story I'm trying to tell. If you look at, like, like uh, Lovecraft-type works, often his character's personalities are very thin. He has the main character as a good personality, and everyone else is kind of cardboard, except maybe one other person. And that's kind of the kind of story I tell a lot of the times. I don't I don't make all the characters very rich. I kind of make them just, okay, well, that's not what you're exploring.
2: How do you bring an NPC's real personality to life? Well if you try to make everybody memorable, absolutely no one in your campaign will be. Mm-hmm. There'll be way too much information. I'm remembering the details of this one character. Her shoes were lovely, and this guy had a ridiculous haircut, and the other character had a, had a really nice tie. Where did he buy that tie? And you're trying to keep all these details straight, and you haven't even touched their backstory or what they have to offer. Um, I think that it can get very blurred, and that um, could put you in danger of making uh g- g- having an, a kind of an npc fail because that's it's when you have players a bunch of npcs that are indiscernible or they all run together it, it's lost
1: yeah
2: so pick your pick your key ones pick your key actors that you want to have in the story you're going to have to surround them by car- cardboard <laughs> yeah
0: i mean really because uh, because you can't have as much as we'd like to say everything's a living city even the best video games don't make everyone a full personality yeah, absolutely right. You know, for right. you know, a yeah,
2: town. Yeah, you could fall down an absolute rabbit hole. I could create a bar, I could put eight to ten people in there. Next thing you know, I'm writing a life story for every one of these guys. And guess what? Half of them, the party fighter, walks right by and orders a drink and never looks back.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And, and also, also like I said too, much like the the reason that uh, NPCs become memorable is not because of the way you wrote them but because of the way in which the PCs are interacting with them because it's the PCs who feel that they're memorable not you to you right. everybody in your story is so memorable and I can tell you all their names sure from not. from <laughs> Eon you know but you know <laughs> what I mean like it's your like you already like you have all the you have all the all the lines of of, of doc, you know script right you have the whole script let's say
0: you know, maybe um, maybe it's the PC in me because I come in and I'm like, 90% of you don't deserve backstories. Yeah,
1: but I mean, that's who's making it memorable, right? Is the, are the PCs? So wait to see who they who they travel to, and then maybe it's kind of like instead of Schrodinger's encounter, it's Schrodinger's NPC. You know. I was thinking Oh, my God, we were talking Sam was actually the wizard the whole time. Who knew? Sam
0: Schmeagel's been Jack the Ripper this entire time. Who knew? No one knew. No one knew. <laughs> it was Don nuts. Jack! So, I mean, but do you have any go-tos when you're creating the NPC's actual personality? Any any tricks you use to come up with something that makes it interesting and fun?
2: I think you need to take, like, one or two aspects of that NPC, especially if you're trapped in in improv situation and kind of expand out from there. Um, Is this a villainous character? Are they clever? Are they ridiculous? I like a good ridiculous character. Uh, Are they overly dramatic? Are they really difficult to engage in a conversation? Take a few things and then just let the conversation kind of progress naturally from there. You're going to get cornered with your cardboard. You're going to have to do something with them. It's unavoidable
1: absolutely you guys
2: said it I, to me you're like i'm putting the ship i'm putting the ship down i find a guy what's his name what's he got in the store what's going on and i'm like he's got sound of dice rolling some things
1: dance for me dungeon master dance
2: <laughs>
1: um
0: there's players of my game that do that it's like oh what's his name <laughs> what's his name his name you is don't want to know brilliant. his name <laughs>
1: the um well i for me i always have uh so t- two different ways if it's a if it's my homebrew campaign like slavers bay or if it's if i'm running strad strad already comes baked in with a whole lot of stuff that i can use it already has a names list for barobians boom done okay i have that so i can write down six of them and i have them right there on my sheet uh because you're not going to talk to probably more than six people. And if you do, I don't know, wolves attack or something. Um, <laughs> and my character's way too impatient. It already has, when you're meeting the Burgomasters, when you're meeting the Lady Voctor, when you're meeting Strahd, obviously, right? They already have, what do these people look like? What are their goals? What are, What's their whole thing? So that's already there for me. So I can just kind of plug and play. Uh, it's like, you know, the self-propelled lawnmower in a way. Um, homebrew stuff like with Slaver's Bay, for instance, is a perfect example. Um, I would have, I would break out two or three NPCs in each location that were kind of, you know, to do's. And I would give them a little bit of a description, like Tony said, because that helps to put it in the person's imagination. And it gives them an idea as to who this person might be, because we all judge a book by its cover, at least in the very beginning. Right. Um. And then I usually have, they have a goal, and they have some sort of secret or flaw. Um, and then my the other thing that I've been using is uh, Mike Shea's uh, Secrets and Clues, the lazy dungeon master thing. So I have 10 of those all the time. They can be given through any NPC, through any tome, through any anywhere in the world that can come out. So that can also give NPCs a little bit more... Like you were saying to be a person that, oh well, yeah, somebody was saying that X, y, Z, you know, and get you could drop plot hooks, you could drop gossip, whatever. Did we ever pick any of those up? Absolutely. When you guys first headed out um from Zapora and you hit the 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 fork on the Ruby Road, and there's that little kind of like little outpost town there. Uh, where she kind of runs a stable and an inn, and there's a lot of people that come in and sell their wares at this fork because the fork continues on through up to Thrace, and then it continues on eastward out to the rest of, in essence, the kingdom, right? It's like, yeah. the, main, it's like the king's road. And you were talking with the one dwarf there who was like the blacksmith and stable hand almost, and he was another slave as well, uh, and you actually bought him a couple pints, I think, a couple of your your— compatriots did you did not you were running around in the woods somewhere but uh they (laughs) bought drinks and he actually threw out a lot of additional plot hooks about future stuff not even the current adventure but just future stuff you know and then also filled out the world in terms of like the slave economy and and those types of things you know so so yeah the stuff was definitely thrown out there and I know some of it was picked up because people were writing some notes down about certain <laughs> things, but yeah. So I'd like to hear
2: uh, an example or two from you guys on who you found to be a memorable NPC from a game you either played in or uh, from one of your games or even from a video game.
1: Mm. Hmm. Well, I mean, is Elio's cheating? Because yeah, we I was going to throw out Elio's too, yeah. but that's literally, it's just because he gives us fancy looking stuff. Like... I can I mean, we buy it, but still, you know. <laughs> no, no, it's no, not I
0: just because that was... of that. It's not just because of that. It's also he's got the name of Ilio Pizza, so we have a joke oh. around it. He's um. got Ilio's Sky Mall. There's another joke, uh, and he just kind of like he's, he's just this random powerful dude, and you're like, okay, where'd he come from in this
1: game? So that yeah, to me is rolling around the world, just being like, hey, I just got stuff to sell.
0: Zephyrus kind of the same way. You know, whenever you meet kind of the the kind of the powers of the universe, Zephyrus is the and Zephyrus is in the module, right, Tony? The one with the the Zephyros is real, yes. Z- Helios is nuts. <laughs> huh? yeah. Is it Zephros or Zephyros? Zephyros. Zephyros. I like Zephyr. Yeah.
1: Like Zephyr. A warm summer yeah, yeah. breeze.
0: He's interesting. Any anytime you're like, whoa, okay, no, we're beyond the Ken. This is one of the powers that be. That's always interesting. Um let me see. Who else made some interesting NPCs? Uh, obviously, uh, although it's embarrassing I can't remember her name, but the woman who does the tarot reading in Strahd, of course. Madam
1: Ava, yeah.
0: Yeah, Madame Ava. Um,
1: the uh, Well, that one kind of filled out what we were talking about, right? Because she has this information somehow that yeah. she shouldn't know. She's given you some things. She has information, but she's also very standoffish and seemingly possibly very dangerous, too. So she kinda yeah. holds all of those those points. Yeah, where you she holds about the cars before.
0: and isn't gonna tell you all the things she knows. Literally,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, Blinsky is a very memorable one you know we have kind of got involved with him he, like, he's one of the ones that i put in the category of man i kind of wish there was more here you know there's not much you, it's like blinsky, yeah. like they set him up there they put so much you're finding blinsky toys coming in once you get the blinsky's you find out he's making dolls of you and you start pushing on blinsky and be like all right we're gonna hang out with blinsky and like it's like there's nothing here uh, i don't know if that's just kind of coming later or the way dave played him or just the way he's written but that was something where it's like man okay that's an interesting
1: character who knows nothing. Well, here you Man. go. Here's a couple things. Two things on this. One, well, two, maybe three. First, this goes back to my, it depends on the party that's playing it because do you really think that Blinsky would have been anything like the character he is if Bonnie was not in this group? Because she immediately runs into the toy store and yeah. wants to have all the things, right? So mm-hmm. that that can definitely help because then that fuels the interaction. The voodoo doll thing, was completely made up. Uh, That was just something you ad-libbed? That was me because of the way the Bone Grinder went down. So I had the hags start to plan revenge on you guys. Uh And I did the whole thing about Voodoo Dolls to bring in the whole is no fun, is no Blinsky, because they keep peppering that through the adventure, but they don't give you enough to, like, why? (laughs) Why? That's (laughs) my my point exactly, though. It's like, you
0: did more with him, but, like, Belinsky's an interesting character who, if yeah. we scratch, there should be something beneath the surface there.
1: Yeah. And
0: it kind of bugs me that there's not.
1: Well, you he, know? Had asked, uh, he had asked Little One, and she seemed to be like, oh, really, about stuff like this clockwork uh, uh, thing that he had, you know, his, his mentor had developed, supposedly. Mm-hmm. And find right. that. So we dropped some stuff there. But also, you guys weren't in Balaki for long enough because you kind of shit blew up and you had to get the hell out of Dodge too. Yeah, but you it know? felt like we were clocked out of Milwaukee because
0: I mean, shit blew up because the plot the mm. plot progressed. Like, like I don't feel like yeah. it felt like we, we it felt like we uh, Frank like honestly it, it yeah. felt like we wasted time with Blinsky, um, right, right. which was a shame because I felt like that was a character I wished had paid yeah. off
1: more. Um, well, that's how Hawk felt about Muriel. as She's doing an info dump, and he's like, this is a throwaway PC. <laughs> but she wasn't. Muriel wasn't a throwaway NPC, although Muriel's another <laughs> memorable
0: one. When you have a you know, naked naked raven lady, is going to be a memorable NPC. That's probably going to bring somebody in, yeah. Yeah, to, this, to a certain segment of your audience, obviously.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, now the problem is when you're investigating every NPC and every lead, some of it's going to turn up to a dead end. And what I was thinking with the whole thing with Blinsky was he was introduced, so we would go talk to this guy and then find out that the hags were making voodoo dolls out of us. Da, da, da. But actually, you, you put that on there very craftily. Um, you know, so, I yeah. wasn't even like, when I heard
0: someone was making dolls of us, I was like, I didn't even. Is it hags, voodoo dolls? Is it straw? Is it someone else?
1: Sure. Because yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Yeah. Right?
0: Yeah, Von Rickton's also pretty interesting from Strahd. but again, it kind of feels like we've scratched the surface. It's like, okay, well, he doesn't—he hasn't done much for us yet, right?
1: I mean, well, you haven't met him yet either.
0: Hold oh, no, on, I thought we met. No, no I'm you sorry, you had Van met
1: Rictavio. Yeah, you had met Rictavio. Yeah.
0: Rictavio, the guy. But Van the guy Rickton
1: was, has not been seen for for, right, oh, right. for a long, long time. He's, he's still missing.
0: That's true. I was thinking, I was thinking Rictavio. Mm. All the Ricks. This, this game's like the Richter scale. There's just Ricks everywhere.
1: Yeah, and like, it, again, like, Balaki had a lot of stuff, but then, yeah, very much so. It, you kind of did get clocked out in a way because shit went down, right? Yeah.
2: Well, you know what? In your situation, when you're dealing with the NPCs, we were talking about in a previous podcast about why you don't want to do too much of an information dump at one time. You got, you have a couple of guys running around with the high charisma, interacting with everybody, and all this information is flowing in. Some useful, some not. Yeah. And it's like, well, how much of this am I really absorbing? How much mm. would I like to absorb? Uh, how, like, what's a return on investment on this time? Like, I just wrote that article about being, uh, you yeah. know, using the clock wisely. Well, you know, it, it, and again, you're gambling because you don't know. Like, this person would be like, oh, by the way, um, my grandfather's uh, sword is locked in the crypt out back. Well, shit, then you're a genius for talking to this guy, or yeah. you spend 30 minutes talking to him about absolutely nothing, and the players are, like, giving you the freaking the stink eye, like,
1: come on, we gotta go kill something. And he sells you some fur cloaks <laughs> yeah. for, for too much money. <laughs>
0: You know, but there are certain things that should clue. There's certain clues that when dropped should lead to a to a deeper NPC. The number of times that we heard Isno fun Isno Blinsky heading into Wallachie should have like like from the from the module design point of view, I, I would have done more with that if you're going to kind of have that all over the place like that. You know, um, from the point of view, uh, who else kind of fits that? Uh, we've done some with the Ravens. Um, it's just it's just the nature of Curse of Strahd that you know the the, the party's doing everything, so the NPCs are all kind of just waiting around for you to do stuff. I guess you know. Well, the dolls
2: were especially creepy too. They there were, were some creepy. Creepy yeah. moments with them, and we didn't uncover really what was going on with that. So that was kind of like a dot 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 like you know you the, know still moment no one's talking moment. We're like ah uh, okay. Well, we killed them. I mean, we killed we killed the hags. Oh, now we've
0: killed the hags. We made the dolls, right?
2: No, yeah. I mean, like, in general, like, the, these dolls we kept finding from Blinsky in all these different locations. Like, oh, we found a Blinsky doll. And, like, its eyes are closed or something. And we're like, <laughs> the fuck? So, let's see. Who else is memorable? I want to uh, throw out Minx and Boo from Baldur's Gate. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, uh berserker with face paint and his memorable space hamster he's what i would classify as a ridiculous beast character because he's powerful and absolutely nuts and over the top is a great is a good heart and he always defers to his hamster that gives the best advice the hamster is right a hundred percent of the time the (laughs) hamster says we shouldn't go down there stop don't go down there there's a lich downstairs I've like, never beaten Baldur's Gate, but I, I
0: stopped my last playthrough when he died. Oh, no, 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 I'm not continuing
2: without this guy. No, that 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 indeed would be tragic. But no, he um, and his dialogue was comedic, um, and and therefore very memorable. He had a lot of aspects to it, and he had a degree of a backstory too.
1: Mm. Greatest NPC, Q. You're welcome, Earth. Q. Q. There you go. Done. Most memorable. I think I said
2: this is he just can't like death. He can't show up every game. He can't be a regular.
1: No. Yeah. He cannot be, or else it's just, yeah.
0: I mean, if we're going that direction, I'm also going to throw in death from the supernatural series. The original one who was uh, played by, I don't know the guy's name, but he was just kind of this old, like he's, he's an older actor who had a certain feel about him. And he just played a really great death right up until Sam and Dean literally killed him, which was something of a shark jumping moment, I got to say.
2: Kind of like the second time they jumped the shark. <laughs> you know, I, ju- I did not make it through all those episodes. I saw a lot of Supernatural, but there was a lot of Supernatural. So it, 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 it's all relative. And that is played by ju- Julian Richings. Uh, I
0: think I'm saying his name correctly, by the way. Uh, feel, feel bad kind of throwing that out there and not following up on it. <laughs> yeah, he. I thought he played him fantastically well. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah. Sorry, Tony. You've seen him though. If you yes. he he shows up in like the fifth season. Like he show, he he was around for a while.
2: I never watched the show. Good yeah, show. It's, it's
0: good I know. I've
1: heard. I've heard.
2: The, the, but, we, but, we made a drinking game out of it. When someone dies, we had to drink, and yeah. you know, get hammered. <laughs> very much so. Yeah.
0: I would say it's probably the best, longest-running supernatural show that's been on TV. You know, the first ten years of it were very good. The first five years were. Awesome and had a great wrap up at the end of season five. You're like, all right, this never that's it. Boom, that's the finale. We they're never topping that. They're coming back, but it's never gonna be that great. And yet it came back for another five really strong years. And only after year yeah. ten did it kind of start dipping yeah. in its own way, I think. It's yeah, just a really great show. Up there, you know, I I would say it's it's comparable to like Buffy and Angel better in some
2: ways, and it ran a lot longer. Truth. <laughs> Cool. Uh, Favorite D&D uh, NPC, I've got to say I play a very mean Halister Blackcloak. I've never seen, I've never run into your Halister Blackcloak, I don't believe. And you're lucky. There's a Halister Blackcloak
0: we shoot. interact with on, the, on, the, on Facebook somewhere, is that you? <laughs>
2: That's no. actually how Tony interacts with with social
1: media. <laughs> No, no. I'm not
0: on he Facebook, was... but my Halister uh... is.
1: <laughs> so, Tone, you're yeah. talking about literal, like, the legendary figures of the, of the D&D multiverse kind of thing?
2: Well, yes, and I would say that you don't need to have – it doesn't have to be truly legendary to be memorable, but, I, man, I loved playing that NPC. He yeah. was one of my favorite NPCs to introduce, and he was a villain, and he was powerful and mysterious, and he could screw with the party members, and he had clones! Good lore! We killed him! We finally got him! Of course, Hello. you do,
0: guys. Nice job. I enjoyed playing Vecna in the game when you had um, Cassidus, the whole with the whole pile of bugs. The, the game that went Lovecraftian. I enjoyed playing Vecna in that as a character who was kind of trying to play both sides against the middle to get himself brought
2: back by the PCs. That was a lot of fun. Vecna was pretty. He he. I don't know if he was. I would say he was cool, but he was memorable. I would say he wasn't doing me any favors. <laughs> He was doing all sorts of favors from a certain point of view. Stick this uh, in your eye, sure. Um, <laughs> so what do we want to avoid when we're creating an NPC, especially when we're trying to make it memorable?
1: What I want to we- avoid trying to make it memorable. Like I was saying earlier, I don't yeah, want to go in. <laughs> I, I, like like I, I said in an earlier episode, like let go of the outcome, right? Let go of the expectation. Like don't go in and be like, this This person's going to be so, mem- oh, they're going to love him. They might. It might be the the one that you wrote, Tony, with all the secrets, and they never. They went into town, bought some stuff at the mercantile, and they're out. You know. So I I would. I don't go in thinking someone's going to be memorable.
0: Improvisation is the only logical response to player free will.
2: <laughs> well, I will say, if you want to have a PC an NPC be received well, um, mm. make sure that you play them consistently. Because if they're all over the place, then forget about it.
1: Absolutely. Make notes. If you're improv out your NPC interaction when they go talk to Sam Smeagle and you have nothing on Sam Smeagol, right? And you feel like, okay, I can go somewhere with this or they're going to keep going back and you want to do something, make some notes in the session. Like make it while they're interacting, uh, make it after the session so that you can come back to that. Because if you reference it, like Tony, you're saying, if you are consistent with it, the players will will get that, and they will get the information better because Thorn, you said it too. Like repeat yourself, you know. You want them to learn something, say it seven times, you know. So the NPC, if they keep saying the same things, at one point, hopefully, it gets through. I mean, I think if
0: you really want an NPC to be memorable and to work over the long term, it has to have its own life. You know, you've got to be playing. You've got to have in mind what is it doing. While the party is out adventuring, and that goes for your villains, for your good guys. Like one of the reasons that I think, in some way, some ways, that Archmage uh, worked was that Archmage had, and that Archmage had a job to do. You came back, and he constantly had something else he was worried about. Uh, the king too, in that setting, Vecna had his own agenda. Vecna was pushing your buttons to get him to get him what he wanted. That kind of thing makes a good NPC. Actually, I liked playing Carter in that game too. Carter was the warlock who was basically trying to summon cthulhu into the world and carter had an agenda and he was pushing his agenda while you guys were moving along doing your stuff i think a great that is, uh, yeah thank you and i think that's you know you should know what that npc's been doing in the meantime
2: if they've been doing nothing they're gonna get pretty bored. i mean yeah of course you know i regret having to kill him with the eye beam from the you know i effect, now. but you know <laughs> that's the way the uh the NPC crumbles. What can I say? You killed him. You uh, killed his Cthulhu twice. I mean, he was tough. He he was certainly uh, quite the badass. One one phrase drove me crazy when people threw out NPCs, and that was there is a nondescript man in this room. What the fuck does that mean? Like, is he, <laughs> is he like honest to god? Like, I walk in, he's got no eyes, no fingers. He like. <laughs>
0: they'll oh. never remember him unless that's his gag like if he's got like a i mean the classic man if he's got the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy somebody else's problem field thing going where he is nondescript to the sense that magically no one can remember who he is that's interesting but then your players can't remember me So what are they going to do with him?
2: <laughs> yeah Honestly, you cannot have an NPC who is memorable and then blends in the background with the other, you know, fourteen non-memorable, non-distinctive NPCs. You know what I will throw out there too, though. Uh, well, you need to make your NPC memorable with a
0: description. You don't want to start describing them like they're a piece of meat, especially if they're the opposite sex. Like you don't just want to give like a physical description. Like you're trying to have the have the PCs draw their like at poster. Pick one or two details you want to hit. And a general description, I think you know I'm a big believer in any time you're giving detail, one memorable detail is better than a than a whole page of intricate details. That's one thing I've really picked up from writing too. Hit the hit the thing that's important to you. Hit it, hit it again. Make it memorable. Make it stick. Don't try to fill in all the blanks because it just becomes a wall, like a wall of words. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, else uh, I, I, you know who else I enjoyed yeah, actually playing, and I forgot yeah. about this? Brother, Brother Maynard. Richard. He was a memorable piece. Brother Maynard's NPC. pretty memorable. Sir Richard was very memorable. The vampire lord. Well, the, 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 the vampire who basically was bringing Strahd's forces into the Woodstock world that the other party had kind of tracked for a long okay. period of time.
1: Yep, right and, right, they,
0: right, and they tracked him down and killed him. He was a memorable NPC. I enjoyed playing him, too. And, yeah, Brother Maynard, who, the, the, the the paladin who'd gone gone native in the in, in the uh, gone native and then lost his faith and gone uh you know gone evil in the service of Garanathwa him yeah. him too.
2: So if you want to make an NPC who is going to have a degree of both depth and perhaps character development throughout your story, do you have any tips for that? I mean, I think it comes
0: back again to have an agenda that it follows. You know, you want to have that NPC having their own accomplishments that impact what their character is and how they go about their day. You know, what are they trying to do? You want to have them achieving their goals, I think, or, or not achieving their goals. And how does that impact
2: them? Yeah, I think that if you enjoy playing an NPC, then you're going to give it your best work so that this can happen a little bit more organically. Some people don't really function fantastically from a script. But if you enjoy, this is an NPC that like, you know, you're happy when the players interact with, you put a PC yourself, you commit a little bit to this NPC, then I think that really allows uh, that growth to occur. Or at least potentially could. Also, if they got a plot, so if this development fits into something that the players have going on, that kind of gives them an opening. This will give them the chance yeah. to have this develop, you know, to have this character turn from the cowardly lion into perhaps something more, perhaps, or this retired paladin, get a, you know, time to dust off their sword or or that, you know, uh, that tailor to, you know, go find his laser rifle because, you know, it's time he's coming out of uh, <laughs> he's out of putting down the bolt of cloth and now he's, you know, putting his bolt action rifle. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that goes back to the idea of what's what do you get? What are the PCs getting out of this relationship? And that can be a lot of things. That can be material objects. It can be information. It can be them, you know, uh, bringing along this this character's this character story or helping them to finish this chapter too. You know, like you were saying, a plot point. So there's always this. There's a give and take in the relationship between the PC and the NPC, and I think that's a lot of what creates the memorableness of it.
0: Story development
1: yeah yeah I mean exactly, and with the pcs doing that, that means that they have been active in really creating that story, you know, even if you it was a thought of yours to begin with, you know they they actually did the heavy lifting to to make it happen, yeah, yeah
2: the NPC should definitely have his uh story clear and well not overly simplistic, but nothing you want to have need a chart to help explain. Because <laughs> that there's gonna be no development if they're like this guy's a knight from where? Wait <laughs> that this wait, who's his father? Wait it's my brother. I'm confused. You know you have to
0: understand your story levels and the depth that goes with them, right? Your really important NPCs, your villain, they get some depth. They can have a backstory. They can have a family. Maybe people care who their parents were. The guy who works at the bar who's helping out the party, eh? You know he's got he's got a job. He has some things he knows. He has some things he wants to do with his life. That's it. Like you don't go deep on, and we've talked about this before. What you're revealing detail wise is a clue to the party of, is this character important or not? So you don't want to reveal so many details that they feel this character who isn't actually important is very important. Cause then yeah, you wind up
1: in a space of get off the, stop adopting the NPC. <laughs> and also it's, it's the same with, with inanimate stuff too. If you walk in a room and you spend Half of the of the sentences are spent on the wardrobe. They're probably going to go look in the wardrobe. So if there's there nothing there, better be there, a and a witch in it don't talk about the wardrobe talk about the iron chest or something else or whatever right or just say it's nondescript something
2: (laughs) why are you tearing this wardrobe with pieces i know there's a secret bottom in here exactly yeah they're
0: just i'm gonna get the narnia through this this or fillery if it kills
2: me (laughs) fillery for you magicians fans out there oh what a great series that was did either of you ever have an npc that you can remember off the top of your head that did not work and why not Well, we talked about some
0: of them in the beginning, didn't we? These NPCs who people didn't trust or didn't want to interact with the way that we thought they would. And in a lot of cases, it comes down to the party
2: won't trust them enough to play with them, you know? Uh, I mean, I don't know. Uh, Trust aside, like, did you ever feel like an an NPC fell flat or aside from the trust that you just didn't connect with them or didn't come across you like you'd like? Like my Troll King, who's also not in Storm King's Thunder, who I also inserted... (laughs) I mean, for me,
0: there's always I've talked before. Sometimes you get a different me from game to game. And there's always that game where I'm like, all right, the character I'm playing is just, you know, whoever I got a voice as a a DM is not going to come across very well. Um, uh, So there's that, which is just kind of like, all right, you don't always have the NPC. Uh, You're not there to act that day. You know, I have that sometimes and that can really make it difficult to DM with npcs you know <laughs> so those are games mm-hmm. where maybe you don't have as many npcs because you're just not feeling it that day uh arctic kang i don't know where the where things stand on him so far the party doesn't like him but that is sort of his purpose so <laughs> i mean he yeah. is plotting he them truch- all. Up. After yeah, i mean, I mean I don't know. The party doesn't seem to enjoy wanting to kill him either, though. So maybe that's a bit of a miss. And I think that kind of comes down to, well, uh, just being a very difficult encounter and the party, not really appreciating difficulty. Out of Dave, now. you're in that game. Is that, is that accurate on art Kang?
1: Yeah. No, I think so. I mean, I, um, he is an NPC. He is memorable. But it's different because we haven't had interactions with him outside of combat. Silent combat. Like, he hasn't, we haven't just talked, we haven't, anything like that, so it's at a different level than it is with someone like a Brother Maynard, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would say that uh, probably Every oh, To be most, fair,
0: every time we, we talked to Brother Maynard, he was also trying to kill you.
1: Oh, absolutely. Literally, like every single time, absolutely. Yeah. We're well, trying to and recruit sometimes. you, then kill you. Yeah, I mean, he like for a hot second tries to recruit. So he's like, no, okay, well, you're going. He
0: tried to recruit. He tried to recruit Sir Morton to the end. The rest of you, ah, okay, you're just yeah,
1: the rest of you piss off. Uh, I'll tell you what I think, which is which I think this is actually a good point for people to to do, um, especially for people first coming into gaming now, playing as well as running games. I think a lot of the NPCs I had in the Pathfinder campaign I was running. I think a lot of them were really good and, you know, uh, a lot of good ideas and stuff. But I don't know if the players at the time, because they were still somewhat new to it, really understood how to interact with that in a way that created these memorable encounters uh, necessarily. Like they didn't know to create that as much as like, oh, well, OK, we need to go to the next thing or the next thing. So don't always beat yourself up about that if it's not that. It might just that they're, they're learning that aspect of it with the role playing and the thinking outside the box of the adventure, you know, and, and looking definitely- at these people as real people. Yeah.
0: There are definitely times when the players treat NPCs just as if they're features in the game. Like they're just, they're part of the setting and they're the part right. of the
1: setting that I hit or that yeah. I Yeah. Do I they start. have a, do they have a, a yellow diamond above their head? Then I'm going to go talk to them. <laughs> you know, that kind of feel sometimes. So oh, <laughs> you...
2: red diamond, stay back. <laughs> <laughs> Wrapping up this point, I had an NPC in a game. Yeah. I ran a hot minute ago. His name was uh captain Christopher Mare, And he was one of the town guards that joined the party, and um, he was supposed to be this heroic, knightly character, and man, did I screw the pooch on this one. He just came off <laughs> as flat, uh, at an, an armored, less charming version of Mr. Rogers. And one of the problems I had looking back on this NPC was, I really, while, you're, while your alignment should be, a factor in your characters, your NPC's uh, personality, it was too defining. It, th- that, that was too much of his base. He should have had other depth to them mm. rather than he's always trying to do the right thing. He's always following the letter of the law in every conceivable case. Um, and it just made him seem shallow. And then, therefore, he was not well-received by the party.
0: Oh, the party loves having a flat, lawful, good mommy
2: with them in the group. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm like, yes, he'll be like, in a th- he'll be like I don't know, Arthurian Knight, where can I go wrong? No. He's like, oh, we should, we don't need a reward. Oh, shut this guy up. <laughs>
0: it's funny you mention that. Funny, good man. That's very funny you mentioned that, though. Because Arthurian Knights are a place to look precisely because if you read a lot of Arthurian Legends, and I, talk, I had a college course on this, I've gone deep in this on occasion, the knights are constantly not flat. Like, yeah, the baseline description of an Arthurian knight is that perfect paladin who's going to be good and right and do the right thing. The actual stories are about the knights doing anything but that. They're about Lancelot seducing the queen. They're about the knights, you know, killing people. They're about their fall from grace and trying to redeem themselves. Like, the actual stories are about the knights who aren't what that's about. Even uh, There's even kind of like a little sequence that goes along. Like, Gawain was the earliest, toughest knight. And he was the guy who was kind of rough and tumble and the mighty warrior from like kind of the earlier days of the legends. Later on, Lancelot comes in and kind of specifically one ups him because Lancelot's coming from French writers. They're very romantic. He is that new model knight who is all slick and good with the ladies and the beacon of chivalry. And he's a good fighter, even though he's not maybe the strongest, but he's just the best in that little interplay of how they interact is what made those stories interesting. So it's not, those knights aren't boring. Later on, when it gets very holy, Lancelot, because of what he did with Guinevere Falls, and instead you have Percival, who now he's the purest of the pure knights, but he's so pure that it's a whole, it's like kind of like the Goku thing. Like He's so innocent, he's the only one who can look upon the grail. Like They're not actually flat and boring if you get into the stories. That flat, boring Arthurian knight, each one of them has different things that make them different from the
2: stereotype that they were dealing with at the time. that, that's funny because you know what? According to actual Norse mythology, Thor couldn't pick up current Thor and Marvel's hammer because he's constantly losing <laughs> his temper and killing people in drunken rage. Killing people,
0: dressing as a woman and marrying giants. Oh, that was uh, only that one.
1: One time he cross trusted and everyone. That was some of that. the best stuff that that really separated the Norse mythology, and I think what makes people want to yeah. go to that over and over is because they're so flawed. Because they're not these, you know, these these paragons. They're they're much more human feeling, I think.
0: And if you, I mean, if if you get into Norse mythology, you see a whole different set of mores that yeah. than what you get from uh, the rest of Christendom, basically yeah, Christian mythology. Absolutely. And you kind of like that that pro- progress that I just talked about with the Arthurian legends is happening from a more rough and tumble and pragmatic style of the legends as they become one more romantic and then more holy as kind of Europe changes. But the, uh, the Norse mythology comes from a, comes from a culture that was very, Very pragmatic. The Havamal, which is like the sayings of Odin, like the things that this is your, these are your advices. This is your advice for being a chief and being a man who runs his household. Uh They're not really based on being a good person. They're based on being trustworthy sometimes, but always being clever. And Odin himself, the whole point of Odin is he's always looking to rip someone off. Like, you better look out for him because he's looking out for you. Don't
2: don't buy that car from that guy with the eye patch. Uh Uh-uh.
0: I mean, it's so, I mean the, the, Norse mythology, I mean the, the underlying, uh, uh, morals there are very much about be smart, be active, be, be proactive about looking out for your own interest in your own people and doing what's good for your household and obey, obey guest law, do the honorable things. But when you don't need to, when it's not called for do the smart thing, like that's mm. kind of the, the, the takeaway from Norse mythology. It's very different. Um,
1: and that's a good point with NPCs, too, is, you know, like Tony, you were just saying with that excellently named NPC that you had. Uh, Christopher Marr? Yeah, Captain Christopher Marr. That's a great yeah. name. That's a good name. I don't I know. There was
2: something great about that NPC, because I was really excited to play him. And I'm like, wow, my party hates him. I'll tell you I'm what,
1: retire <laughs> this guy. That is, for me, that is, that is a big part of it, though. Like, if I'm making an NPC, I really want that name to be like, I'll be like, no, it's not that name, it's this name. You know, it's like when you see somebody, you're like, you're not a Mike. You're like a Steve. <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah, you need the right name, too. And if you get a good name, man, don't waste it, like Tony obviously did.
0: I wanted Christopher Mayer, <laughs> Captain Christopher Mayer, to be a sea captain. I mean, Mare, Marr, yeah. Ocean. Yeah,
1: and he's a captain, right? Well, yeah. uh, as uh, I uh, captain.
2: as yeah. I may have mentioned in, in my article, which I don't know how it's on a time with this podcast, but not everybody <laughs> wants a nautical adventure. I mean, maybe you've got SpongeBob at the party, but really, you get a lot of pushback for being on a boat more than five minutes with your group of dungeon that, crawlers.
0: That article what? is on our site right now. You can go read it. It was published approximately three weeks ago, and we're not exactly sure what the title is yet.
2: Uh, one of the favorite NPCs I had from back in the day, who was a villain. I don't know if you remember this NPC, Thorn. Yeah, he went by his real name was Hachiman. He was from Forgotten Realms. There was a character called Grandmaster Kane. He was the grandmaster of flowers from the Yellow Rose Monastery. I created a NPC from and the, while there was a Scar- Scarlet Brotherhood in Greyhawk, I kind of squished them together and said that this was his brother. He created his own temple. Like the brothers had split because they had a feud over their there was an issue with their father. And he was e- he was easily one of my favorite NPCs because he was a sympathetic relatable villain he was an honorable villain he had codes and principles he'd still kill someone he wouldn't think twice about that but he wouldn't rob a poor person so i mean what I made him really, a villain he was lawful <laughs> but okay but like, what did he, he
0: do that made him a villain that's just <laughs> on his character sheet somewhere
2: well he was the grandmaster of like in the if, and we're getting some old school here each there was These monks typically in these monasteries subscribe to specific alignments. You had the lawful good ones in the Yellow Rose Monastery and in the Scarlet Brotherhood, they were the lawful evil ones because originally you had to be lawful to be a monk. I don't yep. know. That was that was a rule. But anyway, that makes, um, sense. makes sense to me. That you know, makes
1: complete sense. Yeah, yeah, you need
2: you need all the
0: discipline. But we're old school. I mean, no no one picking up the game today is going to agree with us.
2: Millennials don't want to hear that shit. No, 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 I mean now you can have a known barbarian. And that makes perfect sense, you know. Or but okay, I'm going to the right. known
0: barbarian is one of her best characters actually. And she's she's a halfling
2: barbarian. Halfling, halfling. Yeah. <laughs> But he ran his own version of the zentarum. Essentially, he had a black information network I mean, he had all, al- very much like him like, like medieval a,
0: raj al-gul right fantasy raj al
2: you may remember him he was uh he, one of the other players in our campaign interact with him and uh actually two of them did like they were, he was affiliated with an organization they rubbed elbows with and they met him and uh he was a recurring character for games and games and games but he wasn't a regular and i was always very happy to see him show it uh well you know that ties into one of the
0: things we talked about right one of the things that's cool about that npc is he's the he's he's tied into this or the head of this massive network and he opens up adventures he opens up another part of the map doesn't he it's like it's it's another faction quest it's like when you discover the thieves guild in skyrim it's like oh well here's more quests i can do or the assassin's guild or the uh, any of the guilds
2: well essentially yes he was the opportunity for certain information drops like there was thief mm. networks drops or like they're like oh hey you know what's going on with mole master or the actual Zentarum or something like that or this other thieves guild he could supply information for that which open up one of those infamous side quests
0: all right you know guys we've been going on for a while so what are your final thoughts for bringing it to life npcs your characters your players
2: actually want to interact with I would say if I had to throw one final thought out there is that your best NPCs are the ones that you invest part of your own personality into. You can project yourself into this character because that's how you get your best performance as a DM. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What about you, Diff?
1: Two things. Uh, Similar to what I say with a lot of other stuff, if you are new to running a game, new to running NPCs, um, I would... Like I say, for an encounters and adventure building, uh, take a look at some of the published stuff. They give you an idea as how they're building out their NPCs and how they kind of give you the their overall you know profile, uh, their personality, and that can give you some ideas as to how to play them. Like I was saying, like you know you need a description and you need you know what's their goal in life, or at least in, for this day, and and what's maybe a secret or a flaw of theirs that gives you an idea as to how to respond when that that interaction starts to happen at the table. Um, I would not put too much work into trying to say this is going to be my memorable NPC because they might be thrown off a cliff uh, by accident. Um, like one of Chris Perkins' biggest NPCs he had for the party, I think they hit him with a fireball or something. Um, <laughs> that would never happen. With my or threw him off a cliff, whatever the hell happened, right? So what are you going to do? Um, the so allow, up the allow the interaction at the table to create the, the memorable moments uh, and the memorable M- NPCs for you. Mm.
0: All right. Well, for me, I'm going to go back to another DS9, Deep Space Nine reference, and this time okay. to another very memorable NPC, Quark. The Ferengi- yes. And I'm going to tell you this, because here's what Quark would tell you. It's about opportunity. <laughs> what really makes for a memorable npc for your for your players the opportunity what are they going to get out of befriending this npc it does, i'm not saying that's what's going to make them want to befriend them in the first place you're going to need to plant the clues that make them want to interact with this person. But really what really makes it interesting to the players is what are they getting out of this person? Is it, are they getting a powerful ally they can call upon? Are they getting access to new weapons and items? Are they getting access to new quests? Is it someone who has a lot of information? Is it someone who they're going to get to kind of, they need to like work like infiltrate and maybe murder down the line for a big plot point. But what is the opportunity of that NPC? Cause like almost everything else you throw out there in your game world what players really want is opportunities to go do something cool. I think that's the number one guy, should be the number one guiding star as you're creating your NPCs.
2: Was that the 40-second second rule of commerce?
0: Oh, <laughs> what is it? Do you know? <laughs> oh, no, I was just saying, hey, rules The rules of acquisition, yes. Yes, there we go. And if you and if and if you want to have a trader be memorable, yeah, maybe throw on some rules of acquisition. Maybe it's uh, some some rules of mercantilism or something like that.
2: <laughs> yeah, don't be afraid to defer to the Frangie in these matters.
0: Look, some catchphrases never heard either, or, or, oh, or big ears, big ears also help all right guys this has been fun going down memory lane remembering some of our favorite npcs and what makes them
1: real yeah absolutely good stuff
0: we hope we are some of your favorite npcs in your D life oh god you think someone's putting us in their games as npcs yes
1: make it happen and then oh. send it to us Stat me out
0: that will absolutely we'll absolutely share that you know as you long as a not, wizard with a lot something. of confusing plot points that are difficult <laughs> to follow Thank you all for listening to another episode of Three Wise DMs. Once again, if you're listening to us on the podcast platforms, please hit that five-star rating button and let people know that you like the show. If you can leave us a positive review, that's great. Share it. The audience is really growing. We really appreciate all your support and all of you coming in and listening to us once a week here. If you want more content, go to ThreeWiseDMs.com where we have another article every week. So, you're talking twice as much content on the website as there is in just your podcast platform. We're very active on Facebook and Twitter. You can look us up there. And if you want to ask us a question, that might might be featured on a future episode of the podcast you can either email us at threewisedms at gmail.com or enter your question in the quote what's your problem field on our website and remember to drop your email address in there with nick which nick did if you leave an email address we might be able to drop your line and help you out directly if not it'll probably wind up on a future episode and we'll see you next time right here on three wise dms